You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with what? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in season three? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translated is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. And the all-new Beauty Translated love line at... 678-561-2785. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When was the last time your pet was excited about mealtime? Sure, they're always happy to eat, but I mean tail wagging, jumping up and down excited. Fresh Pet brings that joy daily to thousands of pet parents. It's simple. Fresh Pet uses only whole ingredients, gently steamed, cooked without preservatives, and refrigerated, like meat should be. Look for Fresh Pet in the fridge on the pet aisle or at FreshPet.com for home delivery options. Make meals exciting again. Fresh Pet. We're picky eater approved. During the month of April, shop the buy one, get one 50% off personal care sale happening now in the health and beauty aisles at Safeway. Shop select products like Dove Deep Moisture Gel Hand Wash, Tresemme Rich Moisture Shampoo with Vitamin E, Simple Kind to Skin Facial Cleansing Wipes, or Nexus Color Ensure Conditioner Salon Hair Care. And get them buy one, get one 50% off at Safeway. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local Safeway store for more great deals in the health and beauty aisles. I used to stress about saving for my kids' college tuition, but UNEST makes it so easy, I have one less thing to worry about. The UNEST app makes saving for your child's future easy by putting smart investing tools right in the palm of your hand. Our daughter is due in six months, but we already started our UNEST account. I like that I can invest in small amounts at a pace that works for my family. Start building your child's financial future the easy way. Download the UNEST app from the App Store or Google Play Store. See terms and conditions at unest.co. Forgotten is a production of iHeartMedia and Unusual Productions. Before we start, this podcast contains accounts which some listeners will find disturbing. But without them, the story can't be fully understood. Please take care while listening. Previously on Forgotten. I do recall... 
some suggesting that I might temper my words because big business is involved. Well, the Maquila Doors are American companies, and you might wind up making enemies on this side of the border. When they changed her shift, she signed an insurance policy. Joking around, she told me, if something happens to me, mama, they're going to give you a ton of money. I don't know if my innocent girl had a feeling that something was going to happen to her. I don't know. And so when I saw where this graveyard was located, I said, I can't believe it. It's in the middle of the city. And across the street is the Association of Maquiladoras. Why choose this site to dump eight bodies of women? From the beginning, Diana Washington Valdez told us that the femicides in Juarez were not random, that the women were selected. And Diana also mentioned all kinds of strange connections between the victims and the maquiladoras. The mass grave containing eight women's bodies at the cotton field was discovered right across the street from the Maquiladora Association. Shortly before Lilia Alejandra Andrade was abducted in February 2001, her photographs were featured in a promotional brochure for her Maquiladora. And Diana also mentioned that men claiming to be model scouts would take photographs of young women outside the factories. And then there was Sagrario Gonzalez Flores. After the factory changed her shift, Sagrario was forced to commute alone. Her mother, Paula, remembers the day that Sagrario failed to come home from work. We knew that she had worked and that she had left at the time everyone left, but no one saw anything. And I tell you that very night we began searching at the Red Cross in the hospitals on the streets searching for her. That night, I grabbed all the photos I had of my daughter. I would pass them out at gas stations saying, I'm looking for my daughter, can you please help me find her? There were nights I would step outside and I would shout her name. I would run around the house and shout her name with all my strength. In the silence of the night, I felt she could hear me, so I would call to my daughter. After a few agonizing days and nights of searching for Sagrario, hope that she might be found alive began to fade. Paula joined a protest group outside the police station with other mothers, displaying photographs of their own missing daughters. One morning after Sagrario had been missing for two weeks, Paula arrived at the protest to learn that a young woman's body had been found the previous night. We arrived at the sit-in that day as usual, and as soon as we arrived, a reporter approached me and said, Ma'am, did you know they found the body of a murdered woman? As soon as he told me that, I ran to the photos we already had there, and I said to the reporter, which one did they find? He said, no, I don't know. I, I don't know which one they found. I just know she had a white maquiladora coat. And it was then that I sensed that it was my daughter. Sagrario had her name on the white maquila coat. I had embroidered her name with colorful yarn, just her name, Sagrario. Paula's sense of foreboding was proven correct. Next to the young woman's body, dumped in the desert outside of Juarez, was the factory coat that Paula had stitched by hand with her daughter's name. And this pattern of young women in Juarez disappearing between home and work was by no means unique to Sagrario. 
Lily Alejandra had also disappeared on her way home from work. And Claudia Yvette Gonzalez, one of the victims discovered in the cotton field, went missing after she was turned away from her factory job for arriving two minutes late. These connections between the murders and the maquilas began to attract international attention, including the ABC news piece where Hardrick Crawford appeared and where Roberto Urrea, a former president of the Maquiladora Association, appeared to blame the victims for their own deaths. Where were these young ladies where they were seen last? Were they drinking? Right. Were they partying? Were they in a dark street? Urea's defensiveness raised all kinds of questions. Did he and the maquiladoras he represented have something to hide? Could there be some truth to Hardrick Crawford's assertion that his advocacy for the women disturbed big business interests on both sides of the border and contributed to his downfall? And could there be another group of men operating with or in parallel to the cartel who were also preying on vulnerable young women in Juarez? I'm Oz Veloshin. And I'm Monica Ortiz Uribe. This is Forgotten. The Women of Juarez. Voy a crear un canto para poder existir. Para mover la tierra a los hombres y sobrevivir. Yo no nací sin causa. Yo no nací sin fe. Mi corazón pega fuerte para gritar a los que no sienten así perseguir. A la felicidad. That comment from Urea, Monica, where he's saying, you know, where were the women last seen? Were they partying? Were they drinking? That really stuck with both of us. First of all, I have to point out how infuriating it is to listen to that interview. That sort of victim blaming has been done by police and politicians. And now it was being done on national television by a former president of the Maquiladora Association. How dare he shirk the responsibility his industry bears for not recognizing and responding to the risks their employees clearly faced? This kind of attitude alone puts women in danger. And in the late 1990s and early 2000s, it wasn't just ABC News who were drawing a line between the maquilas and the murders. Diana was also pointing out the connections, as were. Amnesty International. Correct, yes. In the beginning, the Juarez femicides were known as the Maquiladora murders because so many of the murdered women worked in the factories. Women were actively recruited because of these sexist stereotypes like they're more docile and nimble-fingered. Pressure from the victims' families combined with international media scrutiny did push the maquiladoras into making some efforts to improve, especially providing transport to stop young female employees disappearing on their way home from work. But the fundamental situation in Juarez hasn't changed. Some people get rich there because others stay poor. There are two groups in particular who benefit. The largely American corporations who manufacture goods in Juarez and the city's own industrialists. Here's how Diana describes them in her book. 
Mexico's business elites are called empresarios, a word that sounds like emperor, which is how they are viewed. The business emperors in the border state of Chihuahua benefit directly or indirectly from the labor of young women. Diana goes on to write, They own the industrial parks that lease buildings to maquiladoras. They produce materials for housing. And they produce and sell consumer products that all families in Juarez purchase. But I still wanted to know just how powerful these empresarios really were. Were they powerful enough to pressure the State Department to silence a senior FBI official like Hardrick Crawford? To find out, we spoke to one of the few journalists who's gotten access to Juarez's secret business elite. My name is Lauren Etter. I'm an investigative reporter at Bloomberg News. In 2017, Lauren wrote a cover story for Bloomberg Businessweek about how crucial Juarez's manufacturing industry is to the global economy. I think there is this invisibility about Juarez in general, but I don't think you could walk through an average day without touching something that was made in a maquila, whether it's the pockets of your jeans or the heart stent inside your body. Any product that you pick up today will have made its way through the border region for one reason or another. There are over 300 maquiladoras in Juarez, employing roughly 300,000 people, more than half of whom are assembling products for U.S. companies. The goods manufactured in Juarez are what Lauren calls the, quote, guts of the consumer economy, the windshield wiper on a car, a blood pressure cuff, a medical glove. So to make the story land, the journalist needed a character. Somebody brought up Don Jaime, the godfather of the maquila industry. Jaime Bermudez had a very storied career where he interacted with extremely prominent businessmen. You know, he went to England and um, was the guest of the Queen for a <laughs> polo match. And I was just fascinated to learn that there was a, somebody behind this massive manufacturing economy along the border. So... Lauren traveled to Juarez to interview the then 94-year-old business magnate. Bermudez has since passed away, but in life, he was one of the city's leading empresarios. I had talked to people ahead of time, and people said you should probably have a bodyguard, but it turned out that Don Jaime had more bodyguards than me. So it was funny traveling around this very gritty city in essentially what was a motorcade, almost like floating through Juarez in a chariot of some sort. The destination of the motorcade was the Bermudez Industrial Parks, where many maquiladoras operate. When you get into the manufacturing sector, inside these little fiefdoms, as I describe them, it's just a different world, really. There is a sense of security and a sense of insulation. Now, of course, most of the workers live in places that do not have that sense of security. To understand how Juarez became a city of such stark contrasts, you need to understand the history of the Bermudez family and how their relationship with the U.S. transformed their cotton fields into fiefdoms. It all started in the 1920s when the family partnered with an industrious Kentucky distiller called Mary Dowling. After Prohibition, she was like, hell no, am I going to shut down this business? (laughs) So she literally hired people to dismantle her distillery, load it onto rail cars, 
and she had it shipped to Juarez. And so when she arrives in Juarez, she meets with Jaime Bermudez's uncle. They end up going into business together. Prohibition didn't stop America's demand for liquor. It just pushed it onto the black market. And this is the story of Juarez, a place that constantly responds to what America wants, but what America doesn't want to take responsibility for. Bootleg liquor, sex tourism, drugs, and from the 1960s onward, outsourced labor. This last chapter in Juarez began when the U.S. ended the so-called Bracero program, which had allowed Mexican workers to fill labor shortages in the U.S. created by the Second World War. After the war ended, it became really a sensitive topic. There were a lot of people that were very concerned that the Mexican laborers were taking jobs that were otherwise suited for Americans. So the Bracero program was ended. In what has been called the largest mass deportation in history, hundreds of thousands of workers were sent across the border into Mexico. Many of them ended up in Juarez, and both the Mexican and U.S. governments were nervous about the potential for unrest if these men remained unemployed. So the two countries collaborated on the Border Industrialization Program, which created a duty-free zone with no tariffs on imports and exports. And this would effectively allow American companies to rehire the Braceros, but in Mexico. The Bermudez family, who made a fortune distilling whiskey with Mary Dowling, were tasked with turning the vision into a reality. And none other than Don Jaime traveled to the U.S. to pitch companies on the idea of outsourcing to Mexico. His trip paid off in spectacular fashion. By 1968, Jaime was standing in the family's old cotton fields, laying the foundation for a 115,000-square-foot plant to assemble television parts for the Radio Corporation of America. RCA no longer exists, but companies from Dell to General Electric followed the path to Juarez that they forged. This was really the beginning of the globalized economy, and the beachhead of that was in Juarez. That was where we saw American companies going and testing out this new model, which was a cross-border, transnational, global manufacturing economy. That's originally why RCA started manufacturing its televisions in Juarez. They didn't want to have to pay the higher wages. They didn't want to have to pay the increasing benefits that the unions were demanding. And no matter how you look at the maquila industry, and the fact of the matter is it's still completely dependent on low-wage workers. I mean, that's the reason why the industry exists. That's why companies continue to go there. Today, the Bermudez family remain among Juarez's most important local partners to the Maquiladoras. And there's no suggestion that they were involved in the murders. But Capcom, the Maquila where Sagrario worked, and Leah, the Maquila where Claudia Yvette worked, are both located on Bermudez industrial parks. And both Claudia Yvette and Sagrario disappeared after leaving work. Although the Maquilas do now provide transportation, the vulnerability of the workers remains constant. I mean, you can't ignore the fact that at the end of the day, they're getting paid $7 a day. You can't ignore the fact that 
yeah, they're bussed in every day to work, but when they're bussed home, their homes might be a cardboard shack and they might not have running water or electricity. And ultimately, American consumers benefit in, uh, you know, cheaper televisions and cheaper washing machines. The Bermudez family drive around in SUVs. They play polo. Don Jaime even hung out with the Queen of England. And although they're among the richest of the Juarez empresarios, they're by no means the only Juarez industrialists who have profited from generations of doing business with U.S. companies. Meanwhile, those U.S. companies who have key manufacturing operations in Juarez have hundreds of billions of dollars of market capitalization and the political clout that comes with it. But was there some kind of direct conspiracy to keep profit margins high by deflecting attention from the vulnerable women who worked in the factories and paid the ultimate price? Could Hardrick Crawford have been silenced because of drawing attention to the connection between the maquilas and the murders? When we come back, we ask the US ambassador who revoked Hardrick's country clearance. There's no sign of identity theft slowing down. And why should it? More than $14 billion were stolen from identity theft victims last year alone. To cyber criminals, it's a success story. To the rest of us, it's a wake-up call. Your personal info is in more places now than ever. And all that exposure can make it dangerously easy to steal your identity. LifeLock by Norton makes it easy to help protect yourself by monitoring your identity and alerting you to threats you could miss on your own. If you become a victim of identity theft, a U.S.-based LifeLock restoration specialist will be dedicated to your case and work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But LifeLock by Norton makes it easy to help protect yourself. Save up to 25% off your first year by going to LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart for 25% off. Head into Safeway and look for the buy three, save $3 deals. This April, buy three select personal care items and save $3. Shop products like Pantene Volumizing Base Shampoo, Aussie Base All Forms Leave-In Hair Treatments, Aussie Miracle Moist Pump Conditioner, Hair Biology Volumizing Shampoo and Conditioner with Biotin, Full and Vibrant for Fine or Thin Hair, and Old Spice 2-in-1 Swagger. Buy three participating items and save $3. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local store for more great savings. What is Circle? First of all, it's a beautiful shape. It's consistent. A community. It's meant to be inclusive. The globe. At Circle, we build USDC, a digital dollar that's actually dollar-backed, one-to-one. We're building a future where money will travel at the speed of the internet for fractions of a penny, and no one will think about it because it will just be the way we work. Circle's the place where crypto meets stability, where local businesses meet global customers, and the U.S. dollar meets USDC. Visit circle.com slash podcast. So before the break, Monica, Lauren mentioned something that you've been telling me since day one, which is that Juarez, as it exists today, exists because of low-wage workers. First it was the Braceros, and then once the Maquilas were there, they attracted internal migrants like the Flores family for the jobs. Now, the Flores family arrived 30 years ago, but what's the condition of the workers like who arrived today? 
I'll never forget visiting one of these factory workers in Ciudad Juarez in 2016. Her name was Brenda Estrada, and she worked for Comscope, a multi-billion dollar communications company headquartered in North Carolina. This is the company that outfitted the Dallas Cowboys' new football stadium with Wi-Fi. Brenda assembled cables for Comscope in Juarez for $7 a day, not per hour, per day. And when you go to her house, you can see just what kind of a life you can live on that salary. Brenda lived in a government-subsidized three-room cinder block home. She had no central heating or cooling. In the winter, she stayed warm by tossing plywood in a metal trash bin. And that plywood is worth half her daily salary. And meanwhile, in its annual letter to its shareholders, Comscope brags about saving them money by putting its factories in, quote, low-cost geographies like Juarez. And you told me that for the large international companies who do business in Juarez, these conditions aren't just an open secret, but almost part of Juarez's appeal. Yes. Here's another example. In El Paso, there's a regional business alliance that's dedicated to helping big companies set up in Juarez. And one of the selling points they advertised on their website about Juarez was a, quote, cooperative, predominantly non-union workforce. In other words, come to Juarez. The workers here are submissive and they won't try to defend themselves. When Howard Campbell first told us about how the cartel bribes U.S. law enforcement officials to facilitate the flow of drugs across the border, I began to see the wall that separates El Paso and Juarez in a new light. And now my understanding was shifting again. The wall also disguises the deep connections between the legitimate economies of Mexico and the U.S. It obscures the reality that many Juarez femicide victims died creating value for the U.S. economy. This was the situation that FBI Special Agent in Charge of El Paso, Hardrick Crawford, was beginning to shed light on when he received a warning that he was making enemies on the U.S. side of the border. He even alluded to a possible conspiracy to silence him, involving big business interests and the U.S. State Department. So we had to ask the ambassador from that time, Antonio Garza, if that was possible. Do you remember Hardrick Crawford? I remember in general terms. I don't remember having any personal interaction with him. Yeah, you effectively withdrew his country clearance. Why would you have done that? I likely would have done it on on the recommendation of people working within the embassy that felt that having him in country would not not be beneficial to, you know, the U.S. interest. I did interview Hardrick Crawford for this podcast, Mm -hmm. and this is what he said to me, which I'd love your response to. Mm Mm-hmm. If I was a conspiracy theorist, I would say that the State Department and the U.S. corporation said, look at this guy who's harming the maquiladora industry and Mexico are upset. We're going to have to make a sacrifice out of him. But I'm curious as to what you think about this idea that the maquiladora industry were in some sense putting pressure on the State Department to avoid too much scrutiny of the fate of their workers. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's absurd. And, I, and it's... Uh... No, I just find, I find that absurd. But here's the thing. Many of America's most important and valuable companies outsourced to Juarez. So it was at least plausible that bringing bad press to the manufacturing industry there 
would not be smiled upon by the U.S. government. How did the maquilador industry interact with the State Department? And how much of a priority was maintaining good relations with them? Well, you know, in, in a very, very broadly, you know, I, I'll go back to the day I took my oath, and it was to represent and protect and defend the United States' interest abroad. And, and largely, my, my focus in terms of priority was our citizens and our U.S. interest in investments. The ambassador went on to deny that he gave any undue consideration to the maquila industry. Nonetheless, he did say that protecting U.S. investments in Mexico was a top priority. And in fact, trade between the U.S. and Mexico is now worth more than half a trillion dollars each year. That figure has risen almost 800% since the start of the North American Free Trade Agreement, or NAFTA. Just this year, the current American ambassador publicly put pressure on Mexico to keep the maquiladoras open in the face of worker protests about deaths from COVID because the factories were manufacturing key medical and defense supplies for the U.S. In a further demonstration of just how intertwined business interests are between the countries, Ambassador Gaza himself married one of Mexico's richest industrialists in 2005, opening him up to accusations of conflicts of interest, which he also denied. But in the end, as much as the US economy does benefit from low-wage workers in Juarez, it seemed unlikely that there was a direct conspiracy to keep them vulnerable by silencing Hardrick Crawford. But maybe somebody else with big business interests in Juarez did feel Hardrick was getting too close to the truth. Remember those empresarios, those emperors of industry? Well, here's Diana again. There was a suspicion on the part of authorities in Mexico City that the aduana, the customs, was not collecting the assessments people have to pay at the border to take items into Mexico. In fact, the authorities in Mexico City suspected that they were off by $250,000 a month. (laughs) The federal government in Mexico was worried that several business people in Juarez weren't paying their fair share of import duties. So they started listening in on their conversations. The investigation involved the use of uh, surveillance equipment It was during these uh, interventions of telephone calls that the uh, investigators became aware of people involved in the disappearances and murders of Juarez. They notified their superiors in Mexico City. Hey, you know, this is all the stuff we're hearing and bodies and being transported and blah, blah, blah. And so they said their superiors told them, keep it quiet for now, just continue with the investigation. We'll deal with that later. The customs investigators were assigned to solve a tax issue, but they had stumbled across evidence that connected certain industrialists to a much larger crime, the femicides. Here's what they told Diana and her colleague, Sergio Gonzalez Rodriguez. A group of powerful men killed uh, women with impunity, sort of became a sport. And by the way, the victims of this group Not all of them have been found because sources indicated they were buried in properties that the public does not have access to. Although these revelations about powerful men abducting and murdering women for pleasure weren't the crimes the investigators had been asked to solve, they passed along their findings to their superiors in Mexico City, 
anticipating an intervention. A lot of recordings were made. And so the principal investigators were very proud of themselves. They said, wow, we solved the femicides. And so, you know, they wrapped up their field work and uh, waited. And they waited and they waited and they waited. Nothing happened. And so that's when they started contacting Sergio and myself. When it became clear that the federal government wasn't going to do anything with their discovery, the investigators gave Diana and Sergio a huge tip. Not just the general profile of the killers, but the specific names of the men involved. And when Diana heard them, she didn't even need to do a background check. She already knew who these people were. We're talking about people involved in major industries. According to Diana, the men were major players in industries ranging from transportation to energy to communications and real estate. And Diana also told us she'd received an off-the-record tip about these men being implicated in the murders once before from a source in U.S. intelligence. And what was amazing to me is that there were the same names, the same names that, that came out. And so you're investigating this story. You get a call about these phone conversations where these names come up after the authorities have also been handed this information, don't do anything. I mean, you must want to publish something. Well, actually, my first reaction was to want to crawl under a desk and hide. It was scary when you sit down and think about who may be involved and the names, oh my God, it's like, oh my God, you know. These are people that are well-known, not just at the border, but in Mexico, nationally. And they have global business interests. I mean, they're, they're powerful economically, very influential. And, uh, you know, I'm just a little old reporter, you know. <laughs> and I also saw an explanation for the impunity of these crimes, all right. I could understand the cartels and the gangs, serial killers to an extent, but this, this was bigger than all of that together. What Diana was being told about powerful men murdering women for pleasure was almost exactly what Alfredo had been told about the cartel parties by his source in the Juarez jail. But these new revelations didn't rule out the previous ones about La Línea, or make it impossible that one or more serial killers were preying on a vulnerable population. The murderers were not mutually exclusive. And I was starting to understand better how Diana had chosen the title The Killing Fields for her book. When we come back, Diana attempts to make contact with the industrialists alleged to be involved in the murders. Head into Safeway and look for the buy three, save three dollars deals. This April, buy three select personal care items and save three dollars. Shop products like Pantene Volumizing Base Shampoo, Aussie Base All Forms Leave-In Hair Treatments, Aussie Miracle Moist Pump Conditioner, Hair Biology Volumizing Shampoo and Conditioner with Biotin, Full and Vibrant for Fine or Thin Hair, and Old Spice 2-in-1 Swagger. Buy three participating items and save three dollars. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local store for more great savings. Digital currency is helping to form the base layer for a new global commerce infrastructure. 
and stablecoins like USDC, issued by Circle, help to bring faster payments at internet scale. From merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay global suppliers and even employees more efficiently. Visit circle.com slash podcast to learn more. Hi there, I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from our Health Discovered podcast. In this special episode, we'll hear about living a fulfilling life with chronic heart failure, a condition that doesn't have to be as scary as it sounds. I was outside shoveling snow, and I noticed I was coughing up phlegm. Unbeknownst to me, I left a trail of blood behind me, and that was one sign. Now, of course, prior to, I was excessively gaining weight. I had issues breathing, uh, sleep apnea. I had a lot of those classic signs. My legs were beginning to retain fluid, and I was having heart palpations. Uh, My heart would beat, you know, really excessively fast. And so, but ultimately, it was when that occurred that I thought something was seriously wrong. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Diana told us that when she heard the names of the businessmen allegedly involved in the femicides, her first reaction was to want to crawl under her desk. But it didn't take long for her reporter's instincts to kick in. I made an effort to contact a lot of these people. I left phone messages as well as emails, faxes. I went through personal secretaries. I never got an answer from any of them. Not a single solitary answer, you know. Despite the lack of response, Diana and her editors at the El Paso Times felt confident enough in the story that they ran it in the paper. But crucially, they decided not to identify the industrialists by name, both for legal and for safety reasons. There were no names named, but they were characterized. The editor chose the word cabal to describe this network of uh, powerful businessmen involved allegedly in these murders. I wonder how far you were able to go, or were you just saying, these are too big and I better not... uh... I think I went as far as I could, journalistically speaking, but I also knew that even if their names appeared, nothing would happen. And in fact, the messenger with them would become the target. Meaning you? Meaning me, of course. (laughs) Now, given the time that has passed... Your series was published. Would you be willing to name those names now? Uh, Monica, I mean, you just just can't get away with it. They'll bury you. This is the same Diana who walked into the neighborhood where Lilia Alejandra had last been seen, despite a Juarez lawyer literally tearing up a map he'd drawn for her and telling her to stay away. The same Diana who'd continued to report on the murders after receiving a death threat traced back to Mexican military intelligence. But it was these business people who Diana seemed to fear more than anyone else. We wanted to know if it would be possible to speak to the customs investigators ourselves. But sadly, Diana said that wouldn't be possible. Nobody knows where they are anymore. The two guys. One of them told Sergio Gonzalez that he was asked to provide a proof of his loyalty by Mexican officials. 
it may be that they were already suspecting that there were leaks and they were probably trying to tear down who could have been leaking during the cartel wars. There was a, a suspicion that they might be dead. The problem that the drug cartels wars created for everyone is that then became like a, a way to off people who might be inconvenient and just make it look like, you know, the cartels did it. A drug hit, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. so many of them, so many of them. It seems remarkable to me that these Mexican investigators would come and reach out to two journalists. They wanted justice. Two more people who wanted justice for the women in Juarez. Two more people who disappeared, presumed dead. So let's rewind for just a second. Remember when Alfredo Corchalo first learned that Juarez police officers were involved in the kidnap and murder of young women? He wasn't sure what to believe. So he turned to Phil Jordan of the DEA, who was able to corroborate that reporting and the existence of La Línea. Phil was the director of the El Paso Intelligence Center, a multi-agency initiative to gather as much information as possible about the movement of drugs south of the border. We wanted to know, in the course of all of his intelligence gathering, whether Phil had ever heard anything along the lines of what the Mexican customs investigators had told Diana. So we called him. Diana has a line of investigation that suggests that some of the powerful industrialists in Ciudad Juarez were involved in having the women abducted. Did your informants ever tell you anything which suggested that may be true? I would be lying if I tell you I didn't hear about that. Yes, I believe those rumors to be accurate. Diana Washington was accurate in that the powerful and the elite could pick up women, party with them, and then do away with them. But since it did not involve directly drug trafficking, we obviously didn't get involved. Now, I don't know if the FBI got involved or not, but yes... La Línea existed primarily to traffic drugs, and so the DEA actively tracked their activities, including the kidnap and murder of women to celebrate successful drug shipments. But the city's business elites were outside of the agency's direct purview. So despite believing the rumors to be true, Phil never followed up on them. But he did mention the FBI. So we reached out to Frank Evans, the former assistant special agent in charge of El Paso, to find out what he knew. We were getting uncorroborated information of involvement by prominent officials in Juarez in what were purported to be, you know, no-holds-barred sex parties. If that's, in fact, the case, the victims cannot be left alive because they, you know, they've seen certain people. Uh, if you had a victim that turned up and says, hey, I was dragged into this house and this guy was there, and that guy was there, and this guy was there, and that guy was there. Now you've got a real problem. But if the victim's killed, and it's an unsolved homicide... Did anyone try to cooperate this information? For us, the ability to 100% corroborate did not exist. Unlike the drug information... You called Diana Washington Valdez a witness to the truth. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you read her book... There are some very concrete facts in there. Like any uh, investigative reporter, some of what she reports cannot be 100% corroborated. But 
The simple fact of the matter is she's a witness to the truth. The only way that you stop this is somebody has to say, I'm not running. Whether it's a Diana Washington or someone else, we used to make a joke. It was, you can kill me, but you can't eat me. And people would say, well, what the hell does that mean? It's an attitude of, you know what? I'm here and I'm not leaving. That's one of the things I respect about Diana Washington. And the news media in Juarez, they're, they're getting blown up and killed. But you have people that still go to work every day and they still do their jobs. And that's when I called Diana a witness to the truth because once you're a witness to the truth, you can kill me, but you can't eat me. Although uh, they can put you in a vat of acid and dissolve your bones. You can kill me, but you can't eat me. So, in the end, Alfredo Corchado was able to corroborate his story, Monica, about police being involved in the kidnapping of women in Juarez. He got the documents from the DEA, he got the confirmation from the drug czar in Mexico City. Diana never got the same degree of corroboration about the rich men. So, what do you make of it? To me, the investigation into powerful men being involved in the murders of women is not far-fetched in the least. I mean, time and time again, there are examples of powerful men abusing women, whether it's Jeffrey Epstein, Harvey Weinstein, Dominique Strauss-Kahn, R. Kelly, Roger Ailes, I could go on and on. I mean, our own president was caught on tape describing how he feels he has license to sexually abuse women. Two men are now sitting on the U.S. Supreme Court despite strong allegations of sexual abuse. The difference is, you know, their victims were still around to make allegations and tell their stories. In Juarez, the victims can no longer speak up against their attackers. But are there examples of powerful men being involved in this kind of twisted and sick and deadly behavior? Absolutely. In Mexico, the elite and powerful, whether it's in business or politics, act with uh, just as much impunity as the drug cartels do. One thing I'm still not completely clear on, does Diana's reporting suggest that there were two sets of parties where women were trafficked um, and used for sport? Or were the industrialists and the narcos attending the same parties? Both the drug cartels and the powerful men were said to consume these women under similar circumstances in these horrific parties. Whether or not these were the same parties, I don't think we know. But what we do know, as Candace Scrapic, the forensic psychologist, told us, it's a way to cement bonds, ensure silence, and foment a brotherhood. We know that even college frat boys engage in this kind of behavior. These men feel empowered to possess and attack women because they're used to getting away with it. Rarely are they ever held accountable for their actions. That's one of the most frustrating parts about this particular story. When you have the police and the judiciary not doing their jobs, and when you have 
journalists being threatened or killed for asking questions, and you have powerful vested financial interests in keeping a population vulnerable, you just don't get any answers. On the other hand, Diana, it seems, was so close to revealing the identities of these industrialists who were allegedly involved in the murders. And we know she was willing to risk her life so many other times. Why do you think she drew a line under trying to publish their names? Some of my initial reactions were, what do you mean you're not going to publish these names? What do you mean you're not going to try to get more confirmation? I mean, for God's sakes, for the sake of justice, for the sake of, you know, accountability. But the reality is even if you were able to get some kind of solid confirmation, the retaliation you could expect could be deadly. And I mean, you just have to think, you just have to think how hard is it to hold powerful men accountable in this country, in the U.S., to even begin to fathom how much more of a challenge it would be to hold them accountable in a place like Juarez, where you have cops in alliance with criminals. When you talk about power and protection in Juarez, the elite business class seems to be more powerful and more protected, more untouchable than even the top drug cartels. The odds that young women in Juarez are up against are overwhelming. The poverty, the corruption, the invisibility. It was in response to all of this that Paula, her daughter Guille, and several other families came up with a symbol of resistance that they went on to paint all over Juarez. A symbol that made it impossible to forget the fate of Sagrario and so many others like her. Guilla thought, why not have a protest, but a permanent one? She thought of a black cross with a pink background as a symbol for the girls. The pink background representing the women and the black cross for the mourning of their loss. But its main purpose was one of prevention. That whenever a girl stood by one of those lampposts and saw the cross, she would know that she was in danger. Next time on Forgotten, Paola's continuing demands for justice and the consequences for her and her family. I'm Oz Veloshin. And I'm Monica Ortiz Uribe. See you next time. Forgotten, The Women of Juarez is co-hosted by me, Monica Ortiz Uribe. And me, Oswald Oshin. Forgotten is executive produced by me and Mangesh Hatikida. Our producers are Julian Weller and Katrina Norvell. Sound editing by Julian Weller and Jacopo Penzo. Lucas Riley is our story editor. Caitlin Thompson is our consulting producer. Production support from Emily Marinoff and Aaron Kaufman. 
Recording assistance this episode from Miguel Perez and Ethan Bean. Music by Leonardo Heblum and Jacobo Lieberman. Additional music by Aaron Kaufman. Hello, beautiful. I'm Amy Erick, founder of Madison Reed, a hair color company I named after my daughter. I started Madison Reed to give you the most gorgeous hair color made with ingredients you could feel good about. Are you tired of drugstore hair color? You deserve better. Spring is here and the forecast calls for your best hair color ever. Upgrade to salon quality hair color that nourishes and improves the condition of your hair without any harsh odors. It's easily done at home and we deliver it to your door. Plus, our hair color matching technology makes picking the right color easy, fast, and accurate. For a limited time, new clients get 15% off plus free shipping on your first online order. Visit madison-reed.com forward slash promo. Take our online color quiz to find your perfect shade. That's madison-reed.com forward slash promo. Try it. Love it. That's the beauty of Madison Reed. Is there anything better than a great night's sleep? Lisa's award-winning mattresses are here to make that a reality. Rated the New York Times top pick four years running, Lisa offers free shipping and a risk-free 100-night trial. And right now, you can save up to $700 on select mattresses, plus two free pillows. It's time to get the sleep you deserve with Lisa. Exclusion supply. Visit lisa.com for more details. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com. Imagine what your dog would tell you if they could talk. More treats. With Canine Health Check, your dog's genes can speak to you. Canine Health Check screens for over 250 genetic diseases and more. Just swab, send the sample, and wait two weeks or less for results. We offer genetic screening for dogs that has been developed by expertly trained veterinarians and PhD geneticists, so you can trust that your results are of the highest quality and accuracy. Visit CanineHealthCheck.com and get 30% off with code IHEART. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with what? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in season three? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translated is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. And the all-new Beauty Translated love line at 678-561-2785. Listen to Beauty Translated season three on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people. 
like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.